I have seldom been more excited, I'm not sure ever, about a conversation than this one today. We are going right to the tip of the spear. The title of this conversation is Ethical AI, the Key to a Free and Thriving Future. So let that sink in for a minute. That is not overstatement. This is not hyperbole. That's our own, to do with as we want. And then ultimately all of this based on a true free market, all based on the non-aggression principle. So Rajiv, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, Foster, for having me. It's great to see you. And before we dive into uh, to the all the, the thoughts and concepts and so forth, could you just give us a little report? Because a lot of our, our fans were excited about uh, when they heard your last interview with us and then that you were uh, taking off to go on this tour of India. So could you just briefly say um, why you went on a tour of India and, uh, and how it went? So uh, I came out with a new book called uh, Snakes in the Ganga. Uh, and and this, uh, this, the, uh, the, this talks about dangers that are not visible because the Ganga is a sacred space and nobody expects poison and, and threats. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, referring back to your call for uh, non-violence and non-harming, uh, you know, what it says is that there is a lot of harming and violence going on, which is beneath the surface. Now, in particular, uh, what I wanted to do is to make people in India aware uh, that, that certain global movements are going on which are affecting them already, which they might not know about, and it turns out 99% of them don't know about it. And these are kinds of collectivism, what you would call collectivism, uh, uh, identity politics and collectivism to deny people individual freedom, uh, which is, which is a, a pathway to slavery. Uh, and, and these you mentioned the problems that this poses, but there's another level of problem on top of it, which is when, when uh, the controllers, when the people who control the nexuses that control are living in another continent uh, and the people being controlled are not even aware of it, not even participant, then the level of control is even worse. So I'm talking about sort of a return of colonial, colonialism where technology, uh, the data haves and have-nots, what Kati talked about, uh, the, you know, when you look at it, the, 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 the entities that control all this AI and the new data tend to be, you know, American companies, uh, the Chinese government, I mean, maybe some other Western governments. So the rest of the world, which is where 80% of the people live, not only are they subject to these controls, uh, and loss of sovereignty and agency that we all, we heard about recent in, in this show, but they are not even aware of it. I mean, they they are physically removed. They, they don't understand. They don't read this stuff. So I want to be a voice for that. And I thought that the since the largest such group of people is in India, 1.4 billion, uh, and and my job is to active uh, to kind of wake them up, which has been very successful during this trip. So I'm going to go back for another month in February, but now we are doing this tour in North America, starting with Canada next week, and then the Bay Area, Southern California, Boston, all these places, and then we'll go to Europe, and then back to India 
for another round because the demand was so much we couldn't fulfill the demand in one tour. Well, I'm really excited that you're doing that and that you're doing a U.S. tour. And uh, Kimberly and I are very uh, eager to see you. Um, our, we're planning in November. I, I think we get a visit from you yes. um, and your co-author Vijaya Viswanathan. Yes. Um, and so we're really looking forward to actually meeting you in person for the first time. Kimberly and I have been devouring your books, uh, and th and that's a big meal. <laughs> but the the uh, she just uh, is finishing the the uh, artificial intelligence and the future of power that we talked a lot about in our last interview, and and this snakes in the Ganga that you just mentioned. I have just finished reading that, and uh, wow, uh, I have not read a a more powerful scholarly book. I think in my lifetime. And what I mean by that is that tremendous research has gone into this. Uh, the, the history is there, the facts are there, the names are there, there's diagrams, there's examples, everything you could want laid out in a way that's super user-friendly. This is not like some PhD exam or something like that. You know, you preview the chapters and then and then you you lay it out with examples and then you do summaries at the end and a conclusion summarize. You really take us by the hand and walk us through some of the most important awareness and then activism on planet Earth right now. So I, I really want to dive into that. And one of the most profound things for me uh, in reading the book was that you, I mean, I, I spend my entire life connecting dots. And I love it when someone helps me connect further dots. And as I've been watching the wokeism uh, take over uh, in the US and take over the media and take over Hollywood and take over our universities now the, the and then the high schools and now it's getting down into the elementary schools i thought it was just kind of some passing ignorance um that was being used yes to to gain power but i didn't realize the 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 history going back to bringing cultural marxism and postmodernism together into a tool of the global elite to use for this technocratic takeover. So um, can you just give us a little summary of that uh, so that people can get a hint of the scope of what you're talking about and then they can go further in your, your videos and your book? Yeah, see the Marxism divided the world into oppressors and oppressed yes. and all history consists of oppression. And so the, the, uh, the goal is that the oppressed must get united, must get uh, woken up, and they must overthrow the oppressors. All this sounds very nice. All of us would like to do that. Uh, but Marx was looking at the oppressed as an economic class uh, and not a religious category, not a race category, and not a category of sexual orientation. So now what has happened is the, all the people that can be made to feel that they are victims of, of something or somebody are being mobilized to get up against society, old structures, historical structures, religious structures, structures of uh, nations, family. Family as a structure is being attacked because the view being made is that civilization as we know it has been the construction of oppressors for their own benefit and civilization as we know it must be dismantled. 
Well, you know, the people who are behind it have no experience reconstructing something better. They have no experience building anything. They, it's, a, it's a destructive uh, kind of a mentality. So it will lead to further problems. And the only winners, if you ask why would, why would Zuckerberg and World Economic Forum support this? Well, what you have to find out, what you have to realize is that the vacuum of power, the vacuum of structure, the social disorder and chaos created is an opportunity for a digital uh, dictatorship, uh, a, a digital caste system, if you will, a hierarchy uh, based on artificial intelligence, uh, new technologies, implants, transhumanism. So, you know, we have, what we have are two, two uh, twin movements. My two books are talking about two parts of this movement. The AI book, which you showed earlier, mentioned the sort of things that uh, concern Matthew and Kati. And the, the second book, the second book that you're, you, you're reading, Snakes in the Ganga, talks about the dismantling, the dismantling. So there is a program in place to dismantle structures, throw people into emotional chaos, uh, psychological chaos. They don't have their reference points. They don't have their families. They don't have their communities to support them because all those are abusive and they have to be disbanded. And, and in parallel, there is a new, the new movement of technocrats is to replace all this with a new kind of a society in which they are at the top. Now, the, you know, everybody knows the problem with the social credit system that China has where they are, they are scoring people in, uh, in the provinces to see who is good and who's not good according to Chinese policy. And then they, they're, they're rewarded like a frequent flyer program kind of a thing on a national scale. So everybody uh, has this kind of a thing going on. Well, you know, in fact, Facebook and Twitter and all these guys, uh, social media are doing the same. I mean, they are, they are scoring us with our data in accordance with their understanding of what is socially acceptable, what is, what are the community standards, what is the uh, what is their criteria of hate speech, what is their criteria of fake news, who gets to decide? So they put algorithms in place to do the job of hundreds of millions of human beings by scoring all of us all the time, and 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 uh, this kind of uh, AI based scoring system is managing individuals. Uh, in, 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 towards another, uh, towards a, a kind of a hierarchy of power. And the corporate equivalent of that is the ESG movement, which World Economic Forum started. This ESG movement, uh, you know, which sounds very nice, environment, we all want to have a good environment, social justice for the S, we all want social justice, and G for the governance, and, and, and so on. While, while the principles and the, uh, the uh, ultimate goals are very admirable, the way they're going about it is it's, all, it's sort of like a, a scoring system, a, a, just like the, uh, the, the scoring system for individuals, this is the scoring system for institutions. And now institutions have to, have to behave a certain way to be in the good books of the World Economic Forum and the international consultants, the McKinsey's and the Pricewaterhouse and the Ernst and Youngs, uh, who get to decide what constitutes good corporate behavior, and and so that uh, is uh, is a social credit system for corporations. So you have individual level social credit systems, you have corporate level social credit systems. All of them 
making decisions on you, me, our organizations, everybody. And meanwhile, you have people destroying the old structures to make us vulnerable. So we are we are in serious trouble as a as a human as a human society, and we need to wake up and start the like the four of us are doing. Start raising our voices and and a counter movement. Can you also um, help people understand the role of? Uh, American educational institutions, particularly Harvard in this case, you know, in the US, people put the Ivy League colleges up on this, this big pedestal. Uh, and they get smart people there because they're, they're very uh, uh, restrictive in their acceptance policy. But it, it's really many of these universities have become um, not only the, uh, the academic establishment for the East Coast Washington consensus, but they've become the major nests of wokeism and especially Harvard. I, I just, I, I knew something about Harvard's role in this, but your book just rocked my world on that. Could you describe briefly the role of, of Harvard and particularly Indian billionaires in this, this movement to, uh, to take over the, the world through wokeism? So, yeah, so you know, Harvard is what we featured uh, in this book as the nest of snakes. Uh, the snakes seem like uh, to people in India, the snakes seem like a random person here and there, and they haven't connected the dots, and they don't know why there are people doing all these things. But Harvard is a systematic, uh, uh, you know, institution uh, on an industrial scale, developing these ideologies, developing, turning wokeism into different cultural forms. So wokeism started as an American phenomenon talking about, you know, blacks and whites and, 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 and racism and so on. But then there is, a, there is an Indianized version, there's a Japanese version, there's a Singapore version, there's a French version. Uh, President Macron fought, uh, pushed back quite hard on, on this by saying that the French idea of, of liberation has to do with individual and not an identity that has rights. The French idea of rights is individual rights. So uh, he said a Muslim has the same individual rights as a non-Muslim, but the Muslims collectively in France don't have any special rights. Nor do, nor do Christians, nor do whites, nor do blacks. People do not have collective rights. They have individual rights. And that's the essence of the French Revolution, the whole idea of, uh, of uh, French uh, you know, freedom and, uh, and principles. So that was a very good, good pushback. Now, people in other countries haven't come up with similar pushbacks, and I'm trying to trying to get people mobilized. So the American, actually American wokeism and based social justice has become the largest American export. It used to be meritocracy, but now they're attacking meritocracy. They're saying that meritocracy is a conspiracy of the same oppressors. Uh, meritocracy is basically a form of oppression, which is sort of camouflaged under this idea of merit, but there is not real merit. I mean, the people who, who, who win on merit uh, you know, there is something, the structures have been set in place to help them. So, so yeah. this is, this means that you also, they also want to topple meritocracy. So you'll end up with a mediocre society because a society where merit, America was built based on meritocracy, based on free enterprise, based on creativity. And if you go to dismantle all that, then, then the, the future, you know, is, belongs to places like China. 
because they're not dismantling, they're not going into wokeism, they are rewarding meritocracy. So basic foundational values of the United States are being questioned and challenged and these ideas exported everywhere. The Indian billionaires come in because, you know, they made their billions. Some the Now the second or third richest man in the world is an Indian called uh, Gautam Adani. Uh, and, you know, in the top 10, there are two or three, top 10 in the world, there are two or three Indians. So, and this number is going up. So having made their money in India, become very famous and become like almost like gods, now they want to have a seat at the table in, in the Western world on the global stage. They want to be hobnobbing with the Bill Gates and with the, you know, all these, these elitist people. And a, a quick way to do that is to dump some tens of millions of dollars at Harvard and have a big building and have a school named after them and have their kids going in there and be felicitated by the president of Harvard as some big, you know, very noble philanthropist and sort of like the new Rockefellers and Carnegie's and so on. So this is a syndrome where, which is very dangerous because they're taking not only money from poor countries because these billionaires have made their money in poor countries, they're taking their name and their credibility and using that they're spreading things that are against the, against the interests of that country. And so this book is actually a, a, a very, uh, it's, a, it's a tough book and we are up against very powerful people. We yes. are not only up against powerful people uh, in the United States like Harvard and a whole lot of wokeism type people in the fringe, fringe left of the Democratic Party, but we've also, we're also up against the billionaires in India and much of the media in India because there is, uh, and the people in India love to go to the World Economic Forum. They get their name in. They think that they've made it. They go and tell the whole community. They start showing off how big shots, they, how much of a big shot they've become, because they can have a picture uh, in Davos with somebody. So this clamoring for Western legitimization uh, is a new form of colonization, and it's yeah. a colonization being done by Indians themselves. I mean, it's a it's a colonization where these dangerous ideas. It's not. British people in India, like in the old days, or Americans sitting there in the, you know, physically managing this new colonization, they've, they've educated and bred a, a, a tier of Indians to go and do it for them. So actually, it's very, it's far more dangerous and invisible in a sense. Yeah, well, they, um, I want to close on this point, because it's such an important one. You, you've coined the term, the moronization of humanity. Uh, turning people into morons. And, it, and I see it happening all around. It's very chilling because to go back to your reference to, to Marx, uh, you know, there's this whole Hegelian dialectic that now a lot of people know as problem, reaction, solution. You know, it's thesis, antithesis, and then there's supposed to be a synthesis. So, uh, so Marx said, okay, you've, you've got this oppression in the world. So this, the, the antithesis is we need a violent revolution to take over control from the, the, the current oppressors. But there's never, I mean, this has been tried in over uh, two dozen countries and it leads to the same disaster and, and you know, murders and starvation every single time, you know, authoritarianism and so forth. So I believe that what you're doing with your work and, and in your books is that you're actually showing the synthesis 
that we, we can transcend the identity politics. We can transcend um, the left and right, but we need to move to a level of consciousness like Matthew was talking about before that is at a higher frequency, that is a higher level of understanding and true tolerance of an acceptance of different points of views, just not acceptance of, of the initiation uh, of force. 